tells stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. Hi, Macca. It's Peter from Childers up in Queensland. Started my day harvesting peanuts here for the peanut company out at uh, Kingaroy. Australian-owned? Yes, they are. Bega owns the peanut company now. Bega from down south your way. Our season runs from about early March right through. We're tapering off now. I can see the end of the line for us, but goes through to about end of May. Today I've got two B-doubles to fill, so that's about 80 tonnes. I'll be sending off. Uh, normally we can we do about 100 tonne a day uh, and send them off to the peanut company. Well, isn't that nice? And our peanuts are pretty good here in Australia, are they? Fantastic. They're the best in the world, actually. They've got all the goodness in them. Oh, good morning, Maka. How are you? Good. Uh, tell people what you're doing. Sitting on a tractor, a John Deere tractor, helping my nephew plant 9,000 acres a week. Southeast of Dolby, 29,000 acres on the boundary of the uh, Condamine and Boulogne River. This is an old Cobb Co staging station and they had a fire here nearly two years ago, a grass fire from power lines in strong southwesterly winds. Burned pretty much all the buildings on the property. Now they have trouble getting uh, workers to come out here and work. I was out here three or four weeks ago with mates on a hunting trip. I found out from a neighbour the flight he was in. So uh, my son and I... Decide to keep ahead and help. You're a handy man to have round, Tolly. Well, you can only do what you can do. Thanks very much, Macca. Good luck. Australians all know if you're rich or you ain't got a cracker. They tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca. I will. Good morning and welcome. If you find it's cold, that's in fact because it is. I think uh, Western Sydney, for instance, about down to two degrees, windchill factor, minus nine in um, around Perisher, Threadbow, minus nine and minus five in some parts. And yeah, cold all over and cold front and sort of gradually moving north. John was in Umbacumba and he said it was a beautiful moment. That's on Grook. Groot Island. He said it's a beautiful morning, but it'll it'll get there and to Uluru and to Alice Springs. It's uh, it's coming on to winter. I've got a little piece about winter here, actually, um, which I meant to read to you. Yeah, here it is. It's from Rick, of course. Rick Rick Kemp, who writes about well things seasonal. Uh, he says the flowering of the Queensland silver wattle, Acacia podularifolia is a harbinger of the approaching winter. Its golden flowering provides a special piece of seasonal magic, the Queensland silver wattle. Stand under the canopy on a bright sunny day and gaze upwards through the bright golden blossoms contrasting starkly against a clear blue sky with its occasional cottony cumulus cloud. It makes you feel great to be alive. Under any tree, really, if you do that. Take a moment to see how busy the tree is with its host of native bees and hoverflies and lesser numbers of European bees. If in a quiet location, the tree will appear to hum with the activity and there's the unforgettable scent while the sun shines. All very uplifting. Take time to try it, says Rick. Good idea, Rick. Um, I'll tell you a couple of things. We've had a couple of calls this morning about scamming your card and a lady said that um it was uh barbara i think was it barbara no it was uh, eileen she said her bank account she lost seven grand out of her bank account and 
the bank thinks it might be somebody going past her handbag with a machine, some sort of machine, which scans the um, card and gets the details. And then she said it was all spent mostly on women's clothes, but there you go. It's gone. We've had quite a few calls about that. And um, she said, wrap your, <laughs> wrap your credit card in, um, in silver foil. And uh, another lady was uh, Kathy said um, they felt uh, she felt them bumping her handbag and husband's wallet, but um, they'd stored their wallets in different places. That was overseas, and she said if it was overseas, it'll be here before you can turn around. You can get special sleeves and things like like that for it. But uh, anyway, that was uh, interesting. I've been travelling a little bit earlier in the week, a lightning visit. I went to Mudgee, for instance. Um, well, the first day I went to Turuwina. Now, Tirawin is in the foothills, well, underneath, really, underneath the Warren Bungles. Beautiful, beautiful place, the Warren Bungles. That's where Siding Spring is, the um, observatories up there. But uh, Tirawin is just in the shadow of the Warren Bungles. It's a beautiful place. And I went to, I had morning tea with the um, the CWA at Tirawina. Um Beverly Pike, uh, welcome, she's the president. And Sue Armstrong and a lot of lovely ladies there, and we had morning tea. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because time was when the CWA, you know, you'd hear, I'd often hear media commentators saying, "Oh, the CWA, you know, tea and scones." And of course, it's it's not that. It's not that. And certainly over the last at least ten years, eleven years, twelve years, since the Black Saturday bushfires, but before that, but but now especially. The CWA has taken on a whole new gravitas and Australians trust it uh, to give their money to so they can spend it wisely and distribute it to needy people, farming families and uh, farmers, all sorts of people, people who live in big towns. And $19 million, I think, $19 million the CWA has recently given away to people. So it's nothing to be sneezed. I had a lovely morning. It's a lovely Lovely place is Turuwina, and because it's Volunteers Week, they are the true volunteers, the ladies of ladies of the CWA, wherever they are, all around Australia, as you know. And uh, that was really nice. And then I was in Mudgee, which is not far from Turuwina, really. <laughs> um, yeah, travel quickly. And I bumped into Dick Smith. Unbelievable. And he was there with his wife, Pip, who's a great photographer, and his daughter, Hayley. And... Um, so it was like old folks week. We had a yarn, and then he said, "Well, well, we're having tea at uh, some place. I forget where it was. It's like a, a big pub, and lots of people were there, um, and it was great. And he he was they were meeting friends, um, family friends, and things like that. And uh, so I was sitting there. We're having something to eat. I don't know, sausage or whatever, bits and pieces. Lovely, lovely. Just sharing, breaking bread with people, and um, and this lady down the end of the table who. I found out her name was Simone. She said, oh, hello, Ian, Neil Rex. Neil, uh, Neil Rex is a little, you'll find it, I think you'll find it on the maps. If you don't, I'll tell you where it is. But um, we did an outside broadcast in Neil Rex in about 1989, 1990, um, something like that. Just a little place. It was a back to Neil Rex. And uh, as I recall, it was a lovely, lovely place. But... Um, that's where we were, and it was just a lovely evening. So I had a talk to Simone, and she was there. They were camped there because their parents. Um, we went there. I think the Rivets was it Catherine Rivet, 
Um, yeah, they invited us there to back to Nurex and we went for no reason at all, just a little out-of-the-way place. And um, Simone was there, camped with her husband, and there you go. Um, it just it was, So it was lovely. It was lovely bumping into people. It's always nice to bump into people. Very cold this morning, wherever you are, 1300 um, that's the, that's the story. I uh, love to talk to you. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. G'day Macca, it's Susan. I'm 50 kilometres from Ningen, heading out to our station with my husband Graeme out west between Bree Warrena and Willamaringal. And uh, our property is situated on the Kalgoa and Biri rivers. And how's that out there, Susan, on the Kalgoa and the Biri? Absolutely wonderful. The rivers are flowing, all the bird life, um, the, the ducks and the major Mitchells and the water hens, um, the herons have all come in to um, have a happy time on, on the rivers. Uh, it's just wonderful. The feed is beautiful, uh, a lot of saltbush country. The sheep are fat as, fat as mud. <laughs> so we're really, we're really happy. I mean, we're dealing with a mice plague out at Dunedoo. But um, I must tell you, um, we were just driving along the highway. We're 50 k's from Ningen. And I said to my husband, what's that in the middle of the road running down towards me? And it was a sheep, <laughs> um, just one lone sheep. <laughs> so we had to stop in the middle of the road and uh, toot our horn. And uh, anyway, eventually um, he went off. We didn't have to set our dog on him to get him to safety. But um, yeah, so uh, there's always something to see on the road. Um, so where have you pastures. been? You're heading. You said you're heading home. Um, no, we're heading. we we've left home, which was Dunedoo. All right. To head out to our station, uh, which is between Brewarrina and Wollamaringal. Uh huh. So you you live and, in Dunedoo, and you've got a station out there. Yeah, that's right. And we're just doing some sheep work and cattle work while we're out there, and uh, for a couple of days. And um, yeah, beautiful weather out here. Um, Beautiful uh, feed and good cotton. Uh, we went past Trangy and uh, big cotton uh, harvest there. And there's a big cotton harvest out at Brewarrina. And, yeah, so everything's looking good at the moment. Yeah, well, I, as I said, I've just been travelling um, and I crossed over the Castle Ray, lots of water in the Castle Ray. And it just seems that every every spare paddock that's available has been... Um, sowed the crop of some sort. Um, I suppose because there's been a lot of good rain around the place and you don't want to, you want to take advantage of that. So there seems to be a crop in just about every paddock. That's right. And, and also, uh, um, you know, Graham's sister, Ruth Gibson, and um, oh, right. she lost her husband a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, and we, we always enjoy your show and when we're on the road. Um, I was the lady that hatched the... Um, Five out of six emu eggs, uh, emus. <laughs> I remember on that. Blanket. Yeah. <laughs> that was a while uh, ago. That was a while ago. That was a while ago. <laughs> and we've got quite a few um, emus out at um, our station and we're just leaving them there and let them enjoy themselves running around. Yeah, that's good. I remember when I used to go to my auntie's place um, out at Canamble and uh, they'd often get one emu egg and because it was worth, I don't know, what's it worth, six or 12 hen eggs, you'd make your, you'd make your Christmas cake with, a, with an emu egg or something like that? That's correct, yeah. yeah. I think it's about 12 egg yolks. But, um, yeah, and I believe they they taste very good. And, 
Yeah, so um, life life's pretty good. We're always working hard, but um, that's the way it is. But it's a beautiful life, and we're very fortunate in this lovely country. And especially um, when there's been a lovely uh, falls of rain and stuff, Susan, is it just makes life? I suppose it's the ups and downs of life, isn't it? Some, you know, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but the good outweigh the bad, and that's that's the main thing, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And Maka, thank you for being there uh, for all of us. Um, we always enjoy your show and um, keep up the good work. Wanda's, uh, is it Wanda Dunnett? It is. Hello, Hi. Macca. Hi, Wanda. How are you? Well, thank you. That's the way. I'm phoning from Narrabri, Macca, and mm. I'm phoning in response to your uh, previous interview about local papers and encouraging people to buy their local newspaper, mm -hmm. which is great news for us. Thank you, because I spoke to you last year when we were celebrating our 100 years anniversary of the Courier in Narrabri, being, in a being owned by a local family. And last year, I spoke to you when we started up a paper in Gunnedah due to the... Uh, the paper, the previous paper, not being printed anymore. Mm -hmm. There was a real need. So six months later, we're going strong. The people of Gunnedah appreciate having a printed paper. Of course. And it's been ex extremely encouraging, Maka. I can't tell you. It's just been wonderful. And uh, a fair bit of work, I suppose, wanted to put out two papers. It is a lot of work. We have a fantastic staff. They just work so well together. It's really, really very encouraging. We we have all our local content from Gunnada. We have uh, reporters, editorial, advertising, clerical staff there. But the production takes part in Narrabri and we're printed at Tamworth at the moment. But therein lies another problem, Macca, because the Tamworth print site is taking on won't is not taking on any externals. Uh, in the next few weeks, it's finishing all its independent newspaper printing, and Why? it's only printing its own product. I don't know. Well, North Richmond is closing down, and we yep. were printed in North Richmond during COVID, <clears throat> and then we went back to Tamworth, and the blokes there do a great job. They are fantastic, and the decision has been made that they're not taking externals anymore. So we are bereft of print sites. In uh, New South Wales, I think there's only two now outside Tamworth and they are both in Sydney. Well, that's a and scandal. A that's that's it terrible. Is. It's dreadful. It really is. And we, is, that we, to, is that to force, I mean, you know, is that, you'd think that was almost, um, they'll probably say it's, you know, bean counters have said, well, you know, we can't do this, but it almost seems like you're forcing people out of business. Oh, I can't understand why they don't want our money. Mm. It's just incredible. It's just, and it really leaves the industry bereft of alternatives. We have to go to Sydney, and while there are two press sites in Sydney who are willing to to print our papers, the uh, the, the the freight is the problem getting mm. it back here. And we're not the only independent newspapers in this position. There are many independent publishers in New South Wales, and we're all wondering how we're going to get through this. We're hoping the government will come and do our aid because as an organisation, Country Press New South Wales has members who are interested in establishing an independent press site in a major centre. And you know, we're trying to get the government to help us and, and Mark Holton is doing a great job on our behalf, but we don't seem to be getting anywhere. It's a real dilemma. Because, as you say, people want their local paper. Mm. It's the it, it it's necessary for a community to have that voice. And I, I suspect too, like here, 
that uh, your your paper doesn't exist without the help of the locals telling your stories and, and ringing you up and saying, oh, did you know this and did you know that and, and maybe sending you little pieces from time to time. I mean, that's what we thrive on here. People send us stories and ring us and tell us things and all that sort of stuff. And I, I suspect, Wanda, at Narrabriana, Gunnada, you're the same. Yes, we, we do. We rely on our readers to let us know what's going on. But we also have people on the ground. We have our staff who are ever vigilant, working out what's going on, working out what to put in the paper. But we do rely on that information coming from the residents. And we put sports reports in. All the kids have got their names there as they achieve. It's really, the paper is about celebrating success and people like that acknowledgement. And we rely on people to let us know when there's something newsworthy to report to report on. Wanda, you let us know how you go. Maybe there's somebody listening this morning that uh, can help you with uh, can help all the papers because I, I I think you're you're not the only one in that boat. That a lot of people uh. Uh, don't have any <clears throat> are looking at printing and. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm hoping Paul Fletcher's listening, Macca. Yep. Maybe. Maybe he can do yeah. something. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Because I think I think the big boys are looked after very well, but we smaller publishers are really, really struggling to get that support from the government. Everything's a battle these days. We're battling social media, which is great, but there's still very much a need for a printed product in a country town. Over to you, Mr. Fletcher. Good on you, Wanda. Good luck. Okay. Thanks, Macca. See you. Bye. Bye. So I went to Turuwina and um, I met a bloke called Mark Pitts. Now, Mark Pitts is the grandson of a bloke called Arthur Butler. You might not have heard of Ma- Arthur Butler. We um, we hear of aviators in Australia because you know Kingsford Smith and and uh, others that are that are famous and Nancy Bird Walton. But there's a lot of aviators that we don't know anything about, um, especially ones that started airlines. Rick McRobertson Miller. Uh, Eddie Connell, Canellan, and people like that, and Arthur Butler, and uh, um, he um, he started a little airline. And M- Mark Pitts is is uh, wants to because they used to land at Turuena. Can you believe they, uh, an airline used to run out of Turuena? It's in the foothills of the Warren Bungles. But um, look, come and meet Mark Pitts. I'm with Mark Pitts. Mark, where are we? Well, we're actually on the uh, Arthur Butler Memorial airstrip here in Turuena, which is um, the first commercial rural registered airport in Australia. But back in the day in the 1938 when this, the airport was open, it became a hub too. If you wanted to come from Maury, Burke, Charleville, all those western towns, you'd have to transit here to go to Sydney. We had the buses coming down from Coona, Gilgandra, Mindoran, and then, well, he actually then started a service to Canamble as well. So Arthur Butt was my grandfather, and I've moved back here from Sydney four years ago to help try and resurrect some of the history and let people know the significance of Turrawina and its uh, place in Australian aviation. Exactly. I flew with Arthur Butler's, uh, it was called Butler Air Transport, I think, when yep. I was uh, in about 1960, I was flying up to Canamble and I flew in a DC-3. Uh, that'd be right, Macca. That's the name, Butler Air Transport. And my grandfather also holds the uh, solo world record from England to Australia. Tell us about that story. Tell us about Arthur Butler. Well, Arthur Butler, he grew up near Lithgow. He left school at 14. He was very dyslexic. He started off working in the small arms factory, and then he moved down, I think he was 15, not even quite 16, to take up a apprenticeship as a flight mechanic at Mascot. And from there, he uh, put his money together and got himself a pilot's licence, and then he became a barnstormer. 
And while he was barnstorming, he met a girl from Turawina who he fell in love with. And he then went to take on some work in England in aviation. A friend wrote him a letter and he said, if you don't get back to Turawina, you're going to lose your girl. And that, in those days, the letter went by sea, so it took a while to get there. And he was that upset, he jumped on a push bike and started riding through the countryside up near the Wirral. For the first time in England, he saw a plane. He chased it, and before long, him and the pilot were working out how he could fly that plane back to Australia and break the world record. Like the other, not like the other aviators, he decided that was the one risk that he was going to take. Uh, he, so he never chased another record because he said it was absolute madness. So when he got to Australia, he married the girl, did he? That's right. Actually, the kids were all running out. He, he tried to land in front of the house. It's the house opposite the school on the corner. When we go up there, you'll see the house. And he tried to land in front of the house, and the kids kept running out from the school. And every time they cleared the kids, had, he'd be coming in again, they'd run out again. So he then actually flew down here where the airport is today and landed here. Looking at the picture of that little plane, it's... I don't know how he made it. There's actually, you can look on YouTube, there's um, some footage of him talking before he gets in the plane to fly off, and he said, uh, weather permitting, I could quite easily break the record between here and Australia, but he actually got five days of horrific weather, and KLM were the international airline in Asia at the time, they actually cancelled their flights, and he flew through horrific conditions. Thinking back to the time when I flew in the DC-3, Butler Air Transport had a great reputation around the place and it was almost like family amongst the people who lived in... And it was the outback then, wasn't it? A long way from anywhere. Well, that was it. It's in my grandfather, they called him... He was the people's airline for the countryman. His whole passion was to give people the opportunity. So he, he went into towns not making any profit and he kept used his big services to fund those. So when uh, Answer took him over, it was a very, very unpopular takeover. The other important thing is that he carried mail, didn't he? That's right. He had the first international airmail contract, so he would collect the mail. They were based at Cootamundra, so the trains had come from Sydney and Melbourne. He'd collect the mail there and he'd do a milk run up to Charleville and then hand the mail over to Qantas there. And it's ironic, considering he waited all those weeks for that letter to get that information, it was ironic that he should be the one to start the international airmail service. And a real pioneer of aviation, and of course most Australians wouldn't have heard of him. Well, I think that's... Uh, Nancy Bird Walton was a very close family friend. She was really disappointed that he doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he is one of Australia's most significant pioneering aviators. He pretty much pioneered all the air services in New South Wales, Sydney, Coolangatta, and, as I say, the airmail services, and, and holds one of the best world records of all time. Now, you could get a flight out of Turawina back in those days, couldn't you? You can't get one out of Turawina now. Well, the farmers used to put a call into Sydney if they needed a part, and be good, they could get it on the same day. You can't do that today. How are you going to perpetuate, if you like, the memory of Arthur Butler? Well, we've got the Gilgandra Shire behind us. Uh, we've just started a corporation, the Arthur Butler Aviation Museum and Aero Club. Firstly, to get some power here in the, in the terminal and some amenities, and then step-by-step, as we progress, perhaps bring a hangar back or build a new hangar and have exhibits here. Now, there's a fellow by the name of Roy Fox over at Cessnock has built the exact replica of the Copper Swift that my grandfather flew. It's in a, a hangar over there, so we're hoping that we can get together with Roy and do something and return the Copper Swift to Turawina. And get a DC-3 here, that'd be nice. That'd be brilliant too, yeah. <laughs> well, good luck. Nice to meet you, Mark. You too, Macker. I've been... Uh, as I said, I've been meaning to one day call you when the timing was right and then you've just appeared <laughs> on my doorstep. Thanks so much, Macca. Hello. Sam, here yeah. you go. Yeah, what's your name? Sam. Oh, g'day, Sam. Where are you? I'm, uh, I'm at a little place called Ringer Soak in the middle of the desert, um, sort of about 180 k southeast of Halls Creek. Wow. 
Ring of Soak, eh? And what are you doing there, Sammy? Uh, we come out here, look after all the community's generators and bores and sewer systems and all that sort of stuff. Drive all around the Kimberley doing that at all different communities. So wow. Discount. Yeah, I bet it does. Yeah. And what's it like so out just, there? Uh, everyone, Go on. Well, it's bloody cold like everyone else is saying this morning, <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, well, there's cold and there's cold, Sammy. What would it, what would oh, it, yeah, what, no. what would it be there? I think it was 11 this morning as the sun was coming up. It's probably about 15 now, but I reckon it's cold. And you'll get you can get down to zero down in a place like Ringasau, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to we'll be in Bowgo in a few days' time, and that's down the Tanami Fairway. So you're stuck in that desert cold like Alice Springs down there. Sammy, you travel around a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We look after well, most of the communities in the Kimberley, so there's a few crews of us that um, get around in a Land Cruiser Ute, me and a Sparky and his Ute, and we drive around and do whatever needs doing at all these places. Sounds uh, lovely. And um, where's home for you, Sammy? Uh, I live in Broome, mate. Yeah. So go out and do a three week. Go out and do a three week run. Go home for a couple of weeks and come out and do it again. <laughs> Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah, I, th- I think that'd be lovely. I'd love to love to come along with you sometime, Sam. That'd be a great experience, I reckon, for for a city boy. Yeah, we see a bit of country, so it's good fun, actually. Yeah, and um, what's it like out there in terms of, um, have you had a good season out there? Has there been some rain? And... Well, all, all wet season. This is sort of the first trip we've had um, where there's dust and not mud, so we're pretty happy we haven't been bogged this time. It's good. Yeah. So, Sammy, what do you do? Um, you, you're pretty busy. When you say you do three weeks out there, you're pretty. It's three weeks pretty full on. Is it driving and fixing stuff up and then moving on somewhere else? And yeah, yeah. Well, um, oh, we do all sorts of things. Like at the moment, I'm uh, actually repairing a hole in a fence at the sewage ponds, which is pretty rare. But back to me farming days. But um, I mean, last month I did four and a half thousand k's on my three three week run. So. We cover a bit of country and get a bit of work done. Yeah, I'll say. Sammy, um, yeah, I'd love to bump into you sometime, Sam, so keep in touch. Um, I don't know, how long do you spend it? When you say you do one week in Broome and three weeks on travel, do you? Yeah, pretty much, mate. Yeah, and uh, two or three days in each community, depending on the size of the community. And, and what, um, what yeah, the problems got, are. Um, yeah. yeah, pretty much servicing most of the time and pull the odd bore and whatever else, yeah. <laughs> Keeps us on our toes. Good on you, Sammy. Nice to talk to you, mate. All right, mate. Have a good one. See you, mate. Bye. Gotcha. G'day, this is Macca. Hey, g'day, Macca. It's Wayne from Willung. How are you going? From Where are you from, Wayne? Willung. Willung. Yeah, W-I-L-L-U-N-G yep. in Victoria. Yep. Tell me. Yep. Yep. What's on your mind? Yeah, look, I'm... I'm sitting at the big green hardware store in Terrelgan at the moment, and and I was hoping you could help me out with something. I'm looking out over Mount Borbor, and there are there are clouds in the sky that are as the profile of them are as big as Mount Borbor, but they're quite flat, and they're spinning in a in a vertical um, motion, if you know what I mean. So it's almost like a willy willy, but they're really really flat. And I thought maybe with you and your contacts at the Bureau of Met, <laughs> might be able to tell me what's going on. 
<laughs> maybe if we could see them, maybe they can ring us. We've only got 10 minutes left in the program. Wayne, you've not seen those. Are you a cloud um, observer, are you? Uh, no, no. I've, I've had a little bit to do with aviation in, in, in the last 10 years or so, but my wife spotted these when we were driving in from town, and they're just very unusual cloud formations. Yeah, well, maybe there's a bit, because I don't know if there's a lot of snow around. I know there's a lot of cold around, and there, it said there was some snow around in the upper reaches, so maybe they're snow clouds. They um they can be look a little different, can't you? You can look at a cloud formation and say, you know, an old-timer will say, that uh, that cloud's got snow in it. Yeah. Hey, listen, do you have a number I can text you a photo on? Uh, yeah, we do. What's our, what's our, do we have a, t- uh, um, can you text it to fax? No, we can't. No, we don't, uh, Wayne. That's, uh, you can, e- right. you can email us if you want. Um, you can, uh, kelly.lee at abc.net.au, kelly.lee, L-double-E, at abc.net.au. All right, I'll do that. Okay, and we can have a look at it. You won't be able to see them spinning, of course. Are they really spinning? They look like they're spinning. Well, they are. They look like they're spinning in a circular motion. They actually look like they're dragging the clouds beside them into them, too. It's like a little, um, you know, a a pole, but it's white. (laughs) There you go. All right. Um, Yeah, send us a photo. Good on you, Wayne. Yeah. And listen, just you'll need to get onto your tech department and get them to organise so you can people can text things to you yeah we'll have to get we'll have to get it we'll have to get a text number <laughs> good on you Maka. thank you thanks wayne good on you mate bye bye good morning Maka. this is barry from canberra hi Beautiful barry sunny, sunny day here in canberra cool about, about 12 degrees it's going to be today but it's a lovely day it was minus it's two nice. this morning wasn't it that's right i wasn't up then though it wasn't too bad <laughs> <laughs> Maka, uh I was. Uh, I went to Kalamulla in the fifties uh, up there wool classing, mm. and uh, I flew with uh, butlers all the time. But one of the amazing things used to be to me from a, I came from Goulburn in those days, and uh, one of the amazing things was that they used to put the Sydney papers on Sundays at midnight in Sydney on the butlers' planes and dropped off. I think all the way up to Kalamulla. But they got there on Sunday morning at nine o'clock. You got the Sydney Morning Herald <laughs> and so on at nine o'clock on uh, Sunday morning. Isn't that amazing? I mean, yeah. I, I'm there at uh, you know you could you could fly to Canamble and you could fly to places where you can't fly now. I mean, yeah, just it just doesn't happen. He was a bit of a pioneer, the old Arthur Butler. But there you go. So you used to you used to fly from where to where? Oh well, I used to fly from Sydney in those days and. Uh, right through to uh, Kalamara. I went up there wool classing. I tell the story. I was a, went up as a 17-year-old boy and came back a 20-year-old man. I was up there and the shearer strikes were on, mate. It, it was wonderful. And uh, Kalamara in those days had three rugby league clubs and they chose the uh, representative side to represent Kalamara for Sunday from the Saturday games. It was incredible. They picked a team from Kalamara uh, southwest Queensland, and we flew by DC-3, the same plane, uh, to the Gold Coast and were the first ever to play under floodlights on the Gold Coast. Did you you played? I did, yes. I played under some very, very good uh, international coaches, which, you know, they used to do in those days, used to have oh. international players, Phil Jackson and players like around Goulburn were marvellous international 
rugby league league players. I don't know if Phil's still alive. I met him in Can- in uh, Wagga years ago. Wagga, that's right. Yes, and he, and he showed me his uh, World Cup. Um, we talked about Reg Gasney because he played against Reg Gasney, of course. And right. but uh, you, you'd Make find that. The country rugby league, um, the the English team would come. I mean, rugby league's lost so much. I don't think they understand what they've lost in terms yeah. of the the appeal of the game. But you'd have the English rugby league come come out and they'd play a country, a Queensland country team and a New South Wales country team, and it was just marvelous stuff, wasn't it? And an opportunity for blokes who lived in the country who may not be able to get to play in the city, but probably just as good. Some of those teams were rip and Newcastle had a great rugby league Marvelous, team. weren't they? Yeah, they, they, we played, I played for Monero and we played Newcastle in Goulburn in those days. What I was a journalist in Goulburn at one stage and in 1963 I wrote an article. What we should do is support local papers and local rugby league teams and it's coming to pass. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully it is because that's where it, uh, that's where it's it started in lots of ways. I mean, it's a great part of the of everything, and and you neglect that at your peril. And that's and I, right. And I think that, you know the the big the big miss in rugby league, I think, is uh, playing England. State of Origin's all right, but there was nothing like playing the Poms. Yeah. Whether exactly. you what whether you won or lost, it didn't matter to me. What was yeah. what was it was the it was the contest and it was uh, fantastic and they've lost that and you know go and ask Mal Meninga about that and he'll tell you about that that's what they should have but um, they've lost it. Talking about uh, the games today, look at those beautiful surfaces they play on. Who remembers Ron Robertson scoring a try at the Sydney Cricket Ground right in the corner in, in about four inches of mud all over the Sydney Cricket Ground? Or rock and, hard games, places that are rock hard and took great lumps of skin off you when you got tackled, yeah. It, when I went to Kalamulla, we used to wear ladies' under, uh, pants, right. uh, scanties, scanties, because the uh, hard grounds used to rip the, off, off your hips. So <laughs> you used to slide with the... Uh, the ladies' pants, and I, I remember doing it, walking, coming back to Goulburn, getting undressed and putting these pants on. <laughs> I said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Couldn't believe it that I was putting these satin pants on to uh, to help the, the skinning of my hips. Good on you, Baz. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Maga. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.